rule of thumb when all the college students come back and it's pretty much like stay away from Walmart because it gets a little insane over there. You know, traffic starts to get a little crazy, but uh, there's like some vibrance and energy back in Manhattan that you don't get when the summer's around. So I really appreciate that. I just wanted to say welcome back to all of our college students uh, that are also here with us this morning. Our lead pastor, Jonathan Hupp, is actually uh, out of town himself. Uh, he is taking his daughter up to the University of Wyoming. She's starting this week. Uh, I think their classes start on Monday. So uh, he is out of town with his wife, and so I was thinking to myself, all right, it's like no boss week, so I can get away with saying kind of whatever I want. No, I, uh, I'm really excited for this morning. I really believe that God just wants to uh, open us up and reveal more of who he is to us. And so uh, this morning, I'm just going to pray for us that God does uh, something powerful just in our midst right now. God, we thank you for uh, this time together. We thank you for your word. God, that you've uh, opened yourself up to us. I pray, Lord, that uh, your word would reveal more of who you are. And God, that uh, you, would, you would reveal to us who we are also. And God, I pray right th- now this morning that, uh, that you would use me, you'd speak through me. I pray that, uh, that people hear your words, God, and not mine. God, I thank you. We love you. In your name, amen. All right, so uh, back in 1978, which is long before many of you were even here, uh, there was a book that was written by astrophysicist named Michael Hart. Uh, it was called V100. V100. It was actually, it sold 500,000 copies. It was translated into 15 different languages. And this book essentially decided, he, uh, he went to the trouble of defining or identifying the top 100 people in history who were the influential game changers, as you will. People who changed history just by, you know, their achievements, their discoveries, uh, their uh, scientific advancements, those sorts of things. So, for example, uh, one of the people on his list was Sigmund Freud. Uh, those of you who are studying psychology, I'm sure, will get a lot of information about this guy. Uh, there's a lot of positive, there's a lot of negative, and th- the whole list is, you'll see, there's a lot of different people on here that have varying uh, capacities and what they did and what their achievements were. But Sigmund Freud, he's very interesting because he was the guy who pioneered psychoanalysis and really set the stage for the entire field of psychology. A lot of what he did in his time was setting the stage for the people that would come after him in studying human behavior and how people just generally uh, dealt with things internally. Right? Some of the famous terms that he came up with were the terms ego, Oedipus Complex, and Death Wish. And he also may have discovered that if you're a guy, you may be secretly in love with your mother. So that's a thing that uh, he also came up with. I don't necessarily agree with that, but, you know, it's one of those things. Another guy, uh, Louis Pasteur, uh, some of those guys who, uh, people who are maybe studying uh, agriculture, large animal science, animal stuff, medicine, biology, those sorts of things, you will know who this guy is. He was a guy who discovered what germs were, right? 150 years ago, some little French biologist who just discovered, hey, like, all these sicknesses and diseases that people are getting, it's because there's these tiny little microbial things called germs that people are getting. And so Louis Pasteur actually figured out a way to inoculate people from these germs, right? He discovered what vaccinations were, and he helped essentially set the stage 
for the last 150 years of medicine. So the reason that we are all sitting in this room today is due in part to a little bit because of Louis Pasteur. You may have never heard of him before. So now what makes this book really interesting is that Michael Hart, he didn't actually just go through and list the top 100. He actually ranked them. This is where, this is kind of a bold move on his part, I'll be completely honest, because he knew that there was going to be a lot of criticism, probably a lot of, uh, you know, questioning, like, oh, like, why did this person get this number and this person get this number? So he was pretty bold into to actually doing that. And so, to me, I don't actually, like, know how he came to these conclusions. Like, if he did, like, an NCAA bracket or something like that and just kind of paired people off, like, okay, this guy, did he do this? So naturally, my uh, thought when I was reading through this book was, where does Jesus come? Like, what number is he? And uh, Jesus actually comes in number three. He is the third, uh, third person behind Sir Isaac Newton. Sir Isaac Newton came above him. Um, Hart even plays Jesus a nice compliment. He says, quote, he was the inspiration for the most influential religion in history. And then a couple pages later, here's what he says. He says, Jesus had an extraordinarily impressive personality. Jesus. <laughs> he had an extraordinarily impressive personality. So, uh, that, again, that places him third behind Sir Isaac Newton. Sir Isaac Newton, I don't know if you guys know this, he discovered calculus, he came up with the laws of gravity that defined how the planets move. He um, actually, a lot of people don't know this, he wrote more on theology he was a devout Christian himself. He followed Jesus. I, I don't know how that came to be, but he, uh, he wrote more on theology than he did on mathematics and science combined. So a lot of people don't know that. But here is what Michael Hart was trying to do. He's trying to answer a question that every single person has to answer. Michael Hart has to answer it. I have to answer it. And you have to answer it. What do you make of Jesus? What do you make of Jesus? The answer to that question will change your life in every facet. It changes the way that you organize your calendar. It changes the way that you spend your money. It changes the way that you formulate long-lasting relationships with people around you. It changes everything about who you are. So let's actually go and look at the very first time this question was posed. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 16. The verses will be up here on the screen. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we actually have them for free over here. You can pick one up uh, and follow through. Uh, we like to uh, get that into your hands. You can uh, follow along with us. Matthew chapter 16, we'll look at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now let's, uh, let's break this down a little bit. Son of man, in that verse, is actually an Old Testament reference. Jesus is simply just using it to uh, identify himself. So he's asking his disciples, hey, like, What's the, what's the skinny on what people are saying about me? Like, what do, what, do, what do people think about who I am? 
Like, tell, give me the lowdown. What, what's this all about? And so they tell him, you know, John the Baptist, which is, this is a kind of a weird one because if you look a few chapters earlier in the book of Matthew, John the Baptist is actually Jesus' cousin, and he was beheaded. He was killed. John the Baptist and Jesus lived at the exact same time. John the Baptist was killed, and people are saying that you, Jesus, are John the Baptist. Like, wait, what? That, how does that work? So the reason why this is a little weird is because people think they see all the stuff that you do, that you're feeding thousands of people with uh, just a small amount of bread, you're walking on water, you're doing all these crazy miracles, you're raising people from the dead, you're all these things. So some people think you're John the Baptist because the only way that you could do that is if someone came back from the dead and inhabited your body and you have all these superhuman powers. Like, that's really why people think you're John the Baptist. Oh, okay, that makes sense, right? (laughs) All right, so some say Elijah. In the book of Malachi, it says that in the great and terrible day of the Lord, there's going to be this Elijah figure that comes back. And so some people are looking, and they, they see all the stuff that you're doing, and they think that, okay, maybe that's, maybe that's you. Uh, other people think that you could be the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a, you exhibit a lot of the same character characteristics and qualities as this guy, and so maybe you're him. But the consensus across the board, no matter how you slice it, is that you are... Uh, a prophet. You're a pretty, pretty awesome guy. You could say that you have an extraordinarily, uh, extraordinarily impressive personality, right? That's what, that's what you could say. Now, the funny thing about this is that when you see the description that the disciples pay to Jesus about who he is, that Jesus doesn't actually even respond to that statement. He doesn't even respond. Instead, he turns and asks The pointed question, he asked the personal question, who do you say that I am? Right? That's the very next verse right here. Verse 15, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? It's no parlor tricks, no educated answers. It cuts right through it. Who do you say that I am? It's very personal. And Peter uh, he answers it a little bit of a different way than the Michael Hart answer, than the educated answer. He answers it in a completely different way. What does he say? Simon Peter answered at verse 16, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is a much different answer than the answer that Michael Hart says. Michael Hart, you have an extraordinarily impressive personality, Peter. You're the son of the living God. A little bit different right there. Now, here's the deal. I really can't jump too much on Michael Hart for his description of Jesus because you have to understand that Jesus had probably the widest array of possible answers to who he is. Right? Of everybody in the book... Uh, You could say that he was a great ethical and moral teacher. He accomplished a lot. He uh, he definitely was responsible for one of the greatest religions in human history and changing the world. Um, You could say that. So the thing with Sir Isaac Newton, let's just go back to Newton, for example. Newton had a very uh, shallow range of ways that you could see him. So, for example, the very 
low view of Isaac Newton would be, he was a pretty prominent mathematician and scientist in, in Europe, right? The high view is that he's the greatest scientist of all time. But no matter how you slice it, the difference between those two things is it's pretty narrow, right? There's not a whole lot of a difference. He's a scientist, and he's mortal. When you talk about the difference between Michael, Hart and Michael Hart's answer and Peter's answer, it's you have an incredibly impressive personality or an extraordinarily impressive personality to son of God, right? That The whole in-between there, it's like, I don't even know. And the thing is, if you, if you go with Simon Peter's answer of son of God, that changes the entire, the list doesn't even matter anymore, right? The hundred people on that list, I don't know if you know this, uh, that guy created them. He created all the stuff that they ended up discovering. So, from a very high view of who Jesus is, it's like, okay, this whole list just kind of crumbles into oblivion. It means absolutely nothing. You know, okay, Sir Isaac Newton, you're trying to describe the motion of the planets? Oh, yeah, um, I created those. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal, right? I created those. Okay, so the whole list just kind of crumbles into oblivion. What does Jesus respond with? Verse 17, Jesus replied, You're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. You did not learn this from any human being. No teacher, no education, no one else told this to Peter. It was revealed to him. It was revelation. God in his goodness and mercy opened up Peter's mind to see something that he had never seen before, and the very answer to that question changed everything about who Peter was. The thing is, this is a bit of a quieter miracle to what you see happening throughout the gospel accounts. You see Jesus do incredible stuff. He feeds 5,000 people. He feeds 4,000 people. He changes water molecules so that they're solid and you can walk on actual water that's not frozen, right? He commands the storms. He raises people from the dead. He heals paralytics, people who are blind their entire lives. They can see, right? Not to mention the fact that he um, got up from the dead, right? There's a lot that Jesus did. And this is a quieter miracle that's actually happening inside of Peter and that Jesus surprisingly takes a lot of notice to. He doesn't even pay attention to the answer that was said before about what everybody's saying about him. He sees what happens with Peter, what his response was, and he says, wow, like that, that's amazing that you got that. Now here's the thing. In the Bible, a blessing is really important. Here we see uh, in verse 17, you're blessed. Simon, son of John, you're blessed. You know, this isn't just like, I sneezed, bless you, some kind of cultural nicety, right? Like, oh, okay, like, yeah, you're blessed. Be blessed. God bless you. It's not anything like that. Here's the thing that we have to understand. A blessing was everything in the Bible. A blessing, people schemed for blessings. People killed for blessings. People desired it because it was the very essence of their life. It was the very essence of their future. A blessing was immense. It was huge. So Jesus is saying to Peter, listen, you got that blessing. 
You're blessed. So what am I going to do right now? I'm going to actually give you a tangible blessing. You see who I am, so now what am I going to do? I'm going to tell you who you are. You see who I am, and I'm going to tell you who you are. I'm going to give you a tangible blessing right now. So here's what he says. Verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus is saying, you're going to be the foundation of everything I do in this world. It all starts with you. That is a blessing. Let me tell you. The entire 2000 history of the church that we see from our perspective, yes, it started with Jesus, but Jesus turned it over to Peter and said, hey, this whole church, I'm building it on you. And guess what? Hell can't touch it. It's got nothing on it. In fact, you're going to be the one who's pushing hell back. You're going to be the one who's bringing restoration to the created order. You're going to be initiating that for me. That's who you are. And now the thing is, Jesus calls him rock in this example. And the funny thing is that as you read through the Gospels, you see examples of Peter. Peter is anything but a rock. The dude put his foot in his mouth more than anybody else. That Honestly, like, I'm kind of curious uh, what his response was when he was himself reading through these Gospels. In fact, uh, a lot of people think Mark is, uh, the, the book of Mark is actually Peter's Gospel. It was penned by Mark. And Peter's like digging on himself a ton through the whole book of Mark also, if you read through it. So the interesting thing is he intentionally included a lot of that stuff in there but he put his foot in his mouth more than anybody else. In fact, there's, there's an exchange with Jesus where Jesus is, this is all after this exchange, by the way. I, I want to point that out. Jesus tells Peter who he is. Further down the road, right before Jesus goes to the cross and dies, uh, Jesus is foretelling his death. He's like, hey, like, I'm going to go into the hands of the Romans. They're going to crucify me, uh, and I'm going to die. And Peter speaks up and he's like, no, never, Lord, that shall never happen to you. Okay, um, it's God you're talking to. Uh, I'm pretty sure he kind of knows what's going on. Uh, Peter, you're a little exuberant here and you're putting your foot in your mouth, so stop it. Uh, Jesus actually rebukes him and calls him Satan. So there's that. You can go ahead and look that up. It's pretty humorous. I think, honestly, a lot of times when you read through the Gospels, we have like this such... Like a, uh, like a really hard view of it, like Jesus has all these lofty, th- he's saying these lofty things and speaking like this with his hands up and, you know, he's got sheep draped around his neck and he's talking to people like, oh my God, and people are, oh, you know, and it, he and the disciples, man, they ribbed each other like crazy. Um, John and James actually, he called them, he had a nickname for him, he called them the Sons of Thunder. Because there was a point in time when he's like, Lord, can we just like pray down lightning on these people to kill them all? And so Jesus is like, that's hilarious. You guys are like the sons of thunder here, you know? Like just, I'm I'm confident that they were just like ribbing each other all the time. 
You know, that's what guys do. So here's the profound point. If there's nothing you get from this message this morning, you need to get this, and you need to listen closely. Peter doesn't know who he is until he first sees who Jesus is. Peter doesn't know who he is until he first sees who Jesus is. Sometimes I hear people, uh, especially college students, you know, you guys will be prepared for this when you get out. Hey, like, after I graduate, I just want to go and travel the world. I want to see all kinds of stuff. I want to discover who I am, right? I'm going to backpack through Europe for two months. Hey, like, that's great. You should totally go do that. But you're not going to discover who you are. You know, oh, I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to serve down at the homeless shelter. I'm, you know, I want to I help animals find, find rescues. And, and Hey, like, those are great things. You should totally do that. But that's not your identity. You're not going to discover who you are. You won't. That's something that you do. It's not going to tell you who you are. So there's one question. There's two answers. What's the question? Who do you say I am? That's the question that Jesus asks. Who do you say I am? He asks straight to you. He doesn't want to know what you think your parents think about him. He doesn't want to know what society thinks about him. He doesn't want to know what reading in theological textbooks, what they say about him. He wants to know what you say about him. Who do you say that I am? The personal question. There's only one of two ways you can answer it. The first is by education. This is the route that Michael Hart tries to take in his book. Consider the evidence. You compile a a list of people, the influential ones. You put them all together. Then you try to formulate a system to rank them all. And then whoever works out, okay, in Michael Hart's case, it's third on the list. The nice thing about this, or the beautiful thing, is that it requires absolutely nothing of you. It's easy. It's simple. It puts you in control. You're the guy standing up here who's telling people this is who Jesus is. It keeps you at a distance from the reality of who Christ is. It's all up here. And none of it penetrates into your heart. None of it. Absolutely none of it. You're in control. You're the educated one looking down. Now, the interesting thing about this is uh, I personally have actually walked through this. I grew up in a Christian home. Went to church numerous times uh, throughout the week, two or three times a week. Was a part of a Christian elementary school, Christian middle school, Christian high school. I went to a Christian college. I was part of Christian ministries. You can kind of get the, the track here, right? All of these things, every single one of these things. And the beautiful thing is, I, over the course of these years, got very educated. I could sit down and answer any question that anybody asked me about Jesus. But let me tell you, there's a big difference between knowing who Jesus is and knowing a lot about him. It's a lot. Big difference. For example, um, not many people in this room, maybe you're one of the fortunate few, who knows Bill Snyder. Maybe you know him. But there's a big difference between knowing a lot about him 
and knowing him. Huge difference. That changes absolutely everything. And the beautiful thing about that was that it was the absolute no commitment answer. I didn't have to commit to anything. I had my peaks and valleys of my spiritual life up and down all the time. I was basically seeking after the next religious or spiritual experience every single time. But there was never any consistency because it was all education. There was no commitment involved whatsoever. Now, the other way that you can answer it is by revelation, by God revealing who he is to you. And that is a totally different answer. When God reveals himself, you see something in a way that you've never seen it before. It's completely different. And the absolute worst thing that you can do is patronize Jesus with some sort of compliment that is actually an insult, right? You're a very incredibly impressive person. You have an extraordinarily impressive personality, right? It's like telling Abraham Lincoln, um, yeah, you're a pretty good lawyer. It's like, no, the dude's face is chiseled on Mount Rushmore because he freed three and a half million Americans from slavery and he saved the Union. And if you don't get that, you don't get anything about Abraham Lincoln. Like, that is huge. And that's exactly what this question does. Instead of paying him some insult that sounds a lot like a compliment, You fall on your face and you worship him. And you realize that he has total moral authority over every facet of your life. That he's going to ask you to do things that change the very way that you live. And it is scary. Let me tell you, it's hard. And you know why? Because it relinquishes control. You have to give up control of yourself. I'll tell you what, after having a uh, 20-month-old, oh, I learned a lot about control that I have none of it. Yeah, she can do whatever she wants. I can't stop her from crying if she's just going to decide to cry. I can do this, you know, some things. I can change her diaper, I can give her food, I can do all these things, but hey, she's her own person. She's got the control. You know? My wife and I, we have this joke. It's like trying to control a tornado. Like, yeah, good luck with that. Tornadoes go where they will, and they're just going to do what they do. You know when I had this revelation? When I moved, I lived in, uh, in Lawrence for three years. I went to graduate school at KU. Got my degree, finished up, got a job working here in Manhattan, and uh, became a part of Bluemont Church. And all of this changed when Jonathan Hupp, who's not here, our lead pastor, he called me out of my garbage. It was real simple. It's like, hey, bro, um, Hey, champ, you're, (laughs) yeah, literally that is Jonathan Hupp if you know him, so I'll just throw that out there. Um, Hey, champ, I see that you're living a certain way that's um, not consistent with what Jesus calls you to live, or how he calls you to live. What's, What's the story with that? And now this is, for me, it's like, okay, this is, I can get around this, I, I know the theology, okay, like, I want to still be in control, but oh, like, let me tell you, so on and so, yeah, I'm not buying it. I don't see it, man. It was the first real honest conversation that somebody had with me. And now for me, it's like, okay, I think that I can sneak under the radar at Bluemont Church, and no one's going to really know. At that time, in 2012, Bluemont Church was 30 people. 
There's no sneaking under the radar when there's 30 people, let me tell you. <laughs> Everybody knows everything about everyone. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, back in 2012, back in October 2012, uh, we had a guest speaker who was actually in Lawrence uh, hosting a conference. And so uh, Jonathan was like, hey, we should, we should get a group of people. We should go out there and listen. And uh, that night, that speaker just nailed it. He, you know, you know when you're kind of sitting in a room and you like start feeling your heart like just going crazy and you start feeling that conviction and you're like, bro, like, stop, stop looking at me. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's just, I'm on display. I know, I feel like everything is out there for everyone to see. It's all laid bare. This guy did that and I felt so convicted afterwards. Man, I am not putting Christ at the top. I'm putting myself at the top. I want to be in control of my life. I want to control everything, every little facet of it. But that night, he revealed himself to me in a new way that I've never experienced before. And when he finished speaking, it was clear what I needed to do. I needed to repent, and I needed to walk away from a lot of friendships that I'd built over the last three years previous. That was hard to do, let me tell you. A lot of these guys were some of my best friends going to graduate school. And I had to walk away from a lot of those relationships. You see, when you get a revelation about who Christ is, there's a price attached to it. There's a price attached for every single person in this room. And your price might be different than mine. And people don't want that because they know their life is going to be forever changed. Now, a few questions I need to ask. Number one, are you hungry for revelation? Are you hungry for it? Do you want revelation from God? Do you long for it? Are you pursuing it? Are you passionate about it? And you have to understand, you have to ask that question because you need to know that revelation will bring life. It's going to bring life. It's going to bring long-lasting fulfillment and life and blessing, right? When you see who Jesus is, you're captivated by him you realize, oh my gosh, like God, you are who you say you are. You fall on your face, you worship him as God, as king. You say, whatever it takes, I want this. I want to be passionate about you. I want to pursue you. I want all that you have for me. I don't want to be stuck to the person in control because I know that if I'm in control, I'm going to screw my life up. I know it because I see you and I know that you have something for me that's so much bigger than anything you can possibly imagine, than anything I can possibly imagine. It's easy for us to fall back on our education because it's easy. We trust education. Listen, I am not down on education. Of all people, I love, I love learning. I'm, I'm like one of the biggest learners in the world. I say, go get your education, but if you think that that is going to be the way that you find fulfillment and you find your identity and God tells you who you are through it, you're lying to yourself. Point blank, you are lying to yourself. You'll, it will never fulfill you. You cannot be educated on certain things. But revelation, man, I'll be honest, it's scary and it can get really weird sometimes. Okay? Like, let's just... Elephant in the room, I'll be honest. People have used revelation throughout history to do some really weird stuff, okay? Like, for example, someone who gets revelation from God and they go on to write books and they have a mass following of people and basically using it as a mechanism for control, okay? I'm not going to dispute, obviously there's been abuses in history. 
That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you're here, you're going to have to humble yourself for God to reveal his nature and character to you. It's about humility. It's about humble belief. And in fact, Jesus actually set it up so you can't know him through education. He set it up so you cannot know him through education, through learning a lot about him. He levels the playing field. No socioeconomic status, you know, where you went to a nice high school and a nice college, your IQ, all your finances, all those things. None of it's going to make a difference in the long run. That's not how he set it up. He leveled the playing field so everybody has equal access. How amazing is that? We all have equal access, no matter where you're from, who you are. You remember the the movie Forrest Gump? I mean, this is kind of like going back maybe before some of the the time of people in here. If you haven't seen it, I'd highly recommend it. This dude, okay, so this is my thinking. When, (laughs) When the writer of this movie came and was pitching it to the producers... You know, oh, like, how are you going to pitch a movie to producers from a guy, like, the, the star of the movie has an IQ of 75. Like, how are you going to pitch this movie? Like, what's it going to be about, you know? How is that even possible? The dude's got an IQ of 75. What's he possibly going to do? But sure enough, Forrest Gump, in all of his deficiencies in life, he lives a more full, vibrant life than everybody around him. The most smart, intelligent people Lieutenant Dan, who's got everything all figured out, finally learns, man, like, this guy's got something, you know? He figured it out. He levels the playing field. So Jesus bases our relationships on, uh, with him on one thing, and that's humble belief. Take a look at what he says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus says this, At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. Thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. I'll be the first to admit that was me. I got this all figured out. And for revealing them to the child like, yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. It pleased you to reveal these things to have a revelation, to give revelation to people who are childlike. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.21, Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, catch that, God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. The day of Pentecost, Peter gets up and he preaches and 3,000 people are saved in an instant. And there's nothing beyond that that's, that's not miraculous. Everything is miraculous in that. That's what Peter says. It's completely miraculous. What God wants is humble belief. And some of you people in here, some, some Christians in here, you might think to yourself, oh my gosh, I've just got these raging doubts in my mind and I can't tell anybody about it. I don't know, like there's these doubts, I'm questioning my beliefs, I'm just not sure if this is who God says he is. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to pony up on all my apologetics, I'm going to learn all this stuff, so that maybe I can answer the questions when they come, and all of this is just going to go away. Here's the deal, we have to understand that we're never going to totally figure everything out. 
We're talking about the Son of God here. Okay? We're talking about a guy who multiplied molecules of bread, who changed the very fabric of the molecules of water so you could physically walk on them when they're not frozen. You're not going to be able to figure it out. Let me put your mind at ease, okay? It's impossible. You're not going to be able to completely 100% figure it out. But God will give you enough. He'll give you all that you need. And all you have to do is simply humble yourself. You just simply have to humble yourself. So are you hungry for it? When you dig into God's word, you can just humble yourself. God, reveal yourself to me, please. I just want to see who you are. I want to know who you are. When you pray, God, give me something. Give me something new. Who can I pray for? God, what is this about? God, I want to know more of you. When you have that hunger, that passion, it changes you. So are you hungry for it? Because you can have it. And as we close, let me ask this one last question. Are you hungry for more revelation? You might be in here and you, hey, I got this all figured out. I know who God is. I know he's the son of God. I know who Jesus is. But I've been kind of stuck lately. I don't really know why. I'm not getting anything. Why is that? Well, here's a, a possibility. Here's a possibility. A lot of it comes down to obedience. Uh, as Uncle Ben in Spider-Man would say, with great revelation comes great responsibility. Okay? With great revelation comes great responsibility. And Jesus, as he was traveling, there were so many places that he performed miracles and did all kinds of stuff, cities that rejected him. And as he would walk through, he'd be like, woe to you. Just on the day of judgment, it is going to be so bad for you because you saw it with your own eyes. There's so many people who didn't get to experience and see what you saw. Woe to you. Why didn't you repent? Why did you do that? You didn't do anything with it. So it's possible that Jesus wants to give you more revelation, but you haven't been obedient with what he's already given you. And so, out of his mercy, he's saying to you, I'm not going to give you more until you look at what I've given you and you work with that. Then you'll get more. There's a possibility. Maybe he's told you to ask forgiveness of somebody or to go forgive someone. <laughs> oh, whoa, I can't do that, you know. That was like three months ago, man. We're past that. It's all good. It's not going to work out for you. It's not going to work out. Because you're not listening to what God is calling you to do. Go ask forgiveness. Humble yourself. Just do it. Right? God, what? You want me to tithe? Oh, man. Whoa! Rob, you can't talk about money, man. Oh. Does he really control your finances? Is he the one who's in control or is it you? That's the question you need to ask yourself. And Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You just got to ask for it. 
He's got to be passionate, pursuing, and he'll give you more, and he wants to give you more. Some of you might be here and you're realizing, man, I've got to repent. Whew. I need to get this straight. I don't want to start you know, the year off if you're in college missing it. I want to start the year off strong. I want to start the year off with a true revelation of who God is. I want that to set the pace for me this year. And even if you're not a college student, there's no better time than right now. There's no better time than right now. So let's pray. The worship team's going to come up. We're going to sing one last song. I just want you to think to yourself, God, just in this moment, God, what are you asking me to do with this? The last thing I want from you this morning, this is me asking you, the last